You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Well, it was a cold January morning at rush hour, the year 2007. A young man wearing a long sleeve t-shirt and a Washington Nationals baseball cap stood next to a trash can outside of a Washington DC transit station and began playing a violin. Now the violin he was playing was no ordinary violin. It was a 300 year old handcrafted instrument made in 1713 estimated to be worth $3.5 million. The name of the young man playing that violin was Joshua Bell. Now, if you don't listen to classical music, the name Joshua Bell likely means little to you. If you do like classical music, then you know who Joshua Bell is. Joshua Bell is a world-renowned musician, one of the greatest living classical musicians in America, if not the world. And on this particular day, you've got a world-class musician playing a priceless violin at rush hour in Washington, and it was all part of a little social experiment being done by the Washington Post. See, the Post wanted to see if beauty would transcend the priorities and pressures of people's time. In other words, would true greatness be noticed out of context? Well, during the 43 minutes that Bell played, and he played pieces from Bach and Schubert, during the 43 minutes he played, a total of 1,097 people walked past him. During that time, a grand total of seven people stopped for even a few moments to listen to him play, and one, only one person recognized him. Now, it's remarkable that three nights before this, he had played at Boston Symphony Hall to a sold-out crowd where tickets went at a minimum of $100 per seat. Bell's uh, fee that he earns is about $1,000 a minute as he performs. On this day in Washington, D.C., he collected a total of $32.17 in his open violin case. Yes, some people gave pennies. And the one person who noticed him was a young woman who worked, who was a government employee, civil servant. And when she was interviewed by the Post, the, the Post saw her standing there realizing near the end of his performance, she realized who it was who was playing. And she stood there 10 feet from him, just grinning ear to ear. And afterwards, the Post interviewed her and asked her for her, what, what, what did you think about all this? She said this. She said, it was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in Washington. Joshua Bell was standing there at rush hour, and people were not stopping, not even looking. Some were flipping quarters at him, quarters. I was thinking, what kind of a city do I live in that this could happen? Something truly remarkable went largely unnoticed, unrecognized, unappreciated. One person read this story and commented that true greatness was hidden in plain sight. Now, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to us on the 10th anniversary of Harvest Niagara. Something, there is something truly remarkable, truly great about our gathering here today that could go unnoticed. You know, when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, 
he wanted to, he, he wanted to, one of the things he wanted to do was to encourage them. And he did that at the beginning of his letter by drawing their attention to something that is often in our church gatherings hidden in plain sight. Namely, that the church is a product of the great, gracious working of God. When you look around this room today, you and I, we might see one another in this lifeboat, as Brian put it, that we're in, and you might rightly observe a number of true and beautiful things, but often what's not noticed, often what we fail to grasp is the the jaw-dropping wonder of what it is that God has done here. That God has gathered a people together here, that God is at work here, that God has done something here, that this is, this is a product of the great, gracious working of God. And the reality is, is that sometimes we don't see that. Oftentimes, I find what we see is we see problems around us, we see tensions among us, we, there's things that we find frustrating about us. Lots of these things often rise up and consume our thoughts, and through it all, we sometimes miss what's truly glorious, the presence and power of God. So our scripture text today is precious for a lot of reasons, but in my mind today, mainly that it helps us overcome that shortcoming by directing our attention to what we might not otherwise see, namely that God is at work here. And we see something of God's gracious work in us as we gather. Now, I want you to see this because me just telling you that is not going to do it. We need God's word to do something in us so that we would see what we don't otherwise see. And God uses his word. I believe he's going to use this passage. Let's get it open to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to look at verses 1 to 6, especially verses 3 to 6. But Philippians chapter 1. Verses 1 to 6, and we'll read. I'm beginning today. This, well, this is my first series here at Harvest Niagara. My first preaching series. Uh, no, well, no more stand, well, not a standalone for a little while. This is, thanks for the round of applause there. That's great. And uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to do a, a study of the book of Philippians. We're going to call the series To Live as Christ. To Live as Christ. I know it sounds really original, doesn't it? But it's one of the most powerful phrases in the book. And Lord willing, we will get there and exposit that. But today we're going to begin in the the early part of Philippians, in verses 3 to 6 especially. And um, I should say too that my plan is that next week, next Sunday, Lord willing, uh, I'll look at a little bit more about the book itself, a little bit more of its background, a little bit more of an overview of the book. But today I want to dive in and focus especially in verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 because of the day it is, because it's our anniversary. There's a couple of things I want to highlight for you. Let's read, shall we, Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, it's the elders, and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you notice he says Paul and Timothy, verse one. Now, it's clearly Paul is the, is the author. He's the, the primary one. Timothy's with him. But you notice now it's, he's, it starts with I, because this is Paul speaking. I thank God, verse three, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, Harvest Niagara, and I am sure of this, That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, there's two things that, I, that this text beckons us to do today. At least two things. First, to look at what God has done and praise him for it. And second, to listen to what it is that God will do and trust him to complete it. Those, those are the two things we got here. So first of all, look at what God has done and praise him for it. Well, what has God done? Well, he tells the Philippians that God's done some remarkable, astonishing things. For one, God, God saved them, right? Notice the, how he refers them in verse one, to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, they are in Christ Jesus. That speaks of their spiritual position. They are in, as theologians call it, they are in union with Christ. Something supernatural has happened to them. And they're no longer what they once were. Well, what's happened to them is we would say, God saved them. He saved them. He, he's, also, he's also sanctified them. He calls them saints. He set them apart unto himself. And that sanctification process is still ongoing for the believer, but God has emphatically, clearly set them apart. And also we see here that God is working through them. You notice in verse five, that reference to partnership in the gospel. He thanks God for them. When he prays, he thanks God for them. Verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, until now. Now, the first day for this church was about, about 10 years prior. This is the thing I was sharing with the elders this week. One of the neat things about starting a series in Philippians this weekend is that when Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, they were approximately the same age as Harvest Niagara is today. It's about 10 years old. The church was planted in and around 50 AD, give or take two or three years. And Paul was writing to them in and around 60 AD from prison, give or take two or three years. You see, I, not to, I, we don't know for sure, for sure, the exact dates, but it's fair to say this church was about 10 years old. I don't know, I'm not saying it was anniversary Sunday, but it wasn't far away from that. And I think that's really kind of neat. There's a church that's about the same age, and they were, they were planted uh, in, in a no less amazing way. Began with a, a businesswoman named Lydia and a prayer meeting. And the Apostle Paul showed up, and well, maybe we'll say more about that next week. But what we, we have here is a church that from the first day when they were planted, Paul says there's something special about them. And what he highlights is their gospel involvement, their gospel ministry. They're saved, they're, they're sanctified, and they're serving the Lord. They're at work for him. And loved ones, I think that's what's something that's remarkable for us to observe today too. Look at what God has done. Look around you at what God has done in this local church, in your lives. He's done some things. For many of you today, for most of you, we can say, praise God, he saved you. He saved you. You're, he, he has taken you from, from death and brought you to life. He brought you from being far to him to being forever near to him. He saved you. Let that land on you today. You're saved. Lots of things don't feel safe around us, but you are safe and secure in Christ. He's, he saved us. He's, he's, uh, he's also, he has been sanctifying us. He has sanctified us in the sense that he set, apart, set us apart onto him, but he's also working in us. He's been sanctifying us. Saints are, are people who are, you are a saint. Did you notice that? He calls them, verse one, to the saints. In Christ Jesus. You don't have to die and there be a vote taken to be a saint. 
you trust Jesus, and I don't mean any disrespect, but, but you trust Jesus, and you are a saint. Not because of you and how cool you are or how good you are, but because of Jesus and how cool he is and how good he is. You are a saint and you're being sanctified. God's changing you. He's, he's, he's making you more and more into the likeness of Christ. It's, it's an awesome thing that's, that's happening. He's got power to change at work in you. He's also working through you. He's working through you. You can think about that personally. Some of you when, you, when you stand back and look at some of the ministries God has given you, whether that's in your home, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your workplace. For many of you, if you stand back and look at it, you can say, God is working through you. And, and maybe you're just like, ah, I don't see it. Ask, ask another believer who knows you well. And they, they'll be able to say, I can see God working in, through you in this way. In, in these relationships, God has been working through these believers. Through us. He works through us, sorry, personally, but also corporately. And many of you who have been here for 10 years, I've been here a month, okay? But you've been here 10 years. Some of you, you can look back and you can see, look what God has done, what God has done through us. Think of souls saved and lives changed and people baptized and, and, and marriages strengthened and children raised. Mercy shown, servants equipped, workers sent. He's been working through us. Now, my pastoral exhortation to you on the basis of this text is, friends, look, look and see what God has done. That's the cause for celebration today. What's so happy about a happy 10th anniversary? It's God. Man, he saved us. He's, he's sanctifying us. He's working through us. Now, there's an underlying principle here that I think is so important for us to grasp. I want you to grasp it. Let me put it to you this way. While we, us as believers, while we are not incidental to God's work in the world, he is the decisive factor. We're not incidental. I say that because God has been pleased throughout redemptive history to accomplish his will in the world through his people. So we're not, we're not incidental to it. But whatever has happened, whatever good has come, whatever, whatever fruit has been yielded, the decisive factor is God. Remember Jesus said, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Paul the Apostle wrote in 1 Corinthians 3 in, in Corinth. You know what was going on in Corinth, right? They're all fighting, fighting over who their favorite preacher was. Can you believe it? Imagine people fighting in church. Just Praise God we never have that problem ever, Right? They're fighting over who's, who's their favorite preacher. Well, I follow Paul. Well, I, I follow Apollos. Well, I follow Peter. And the super spiritual group said, well, we follow Jesus. Here's what Paul said. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. When you think about Thanksgiving weekend coming up next week, isn't really, I mean, the heart of that originally is to acknowledge, yes, we labored and toiled, but the crops, the fruit, the abundance came from God. And loved ones, that's what's truly remarkable today. What's truly remarkable about 10 years of ministry, about you being here in this place today, it's God. And what's, what, as Brian has shared this morning, and what you're seeing before your eyes, it's a God thing. Some of you, the very fact that you showed up at church today is a God thing. Loved ones, 
That's the thing that's truly beautiful. And that's what's often hidden in plain sight. We see people, we see problems. They're not always synonymous. But too often we overlook what's truly glorious. And it's God. While we're not incidental to God's work in the world, he is the decisive factor. Therefore, whatever is commendable about us is owing to God. It's owing to God. So we, what do we do then? Well, we ought to praise him for it and exalt in him and rejoice in him or give credit where credit's due. Where is it due? It's, it's due unto him. And, and that's what Paul is doing here. That's what Paul is, is doing in this text. Do you see that? On the one hand, he's encouraging the saints about their, their gospel ministry, right? Do you see that in the text? Verse 5, he talks about their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now imagine, the Apostle Paul writes to us and says, Harvest Niagara, just, you know, I'm just, just praising God, thanking God for you because of your partnership in the gospel. In other words, you're laboring for the advance of, of the gospel. You're, you're working together, you're joining together and partnering with me in, in making Jesus known and, and reaching the ends of the earth. Would, that would encourage us, wouldn't it? And we'd be like, yeah, you know, it's, it's good to be on the Lord's team. It's good to be serving the Lord. So on one hand, he is encouraging them and, and commending them for their achievements. But notice the context in which he says it. The context is prayers of thanksgiving to God. So what's he really doing here? He's encouraging them for their, for their labor but the whole, but he does it in the context of thanking God for it. Do you see the tension? Good job, church. Thank you, Lord. Because it's because of you that they're doing it, you see? That's why he says, I thank my God in all remembrances of you. So when I think of Harvest Niagara, what ought to be a reflex for you and I? To thank God. To think about what he's done. Always, in every prayer of mine. Hear the emotion in this? I'm not putting this on. I'm trying to capture the emotion of Paul. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine, for you all, making my prayer with what? With joy. Where is the, where's the locus, the focus of his joy? It's in God. Because of him and what he's done. And their partnership in the gospel in verse 5 is owing truly to God. Loved ones, look at what God has done and see and observe his gracious, powerful working and praise him for it. Praise him for it. Thank him. Don't be satisfied with token thanksgiving. It's polite to say thanks, isn't it? It's always polite. In fact, it's a little off sometimes when you, when you don't. I find it personally annoying when people don't thank people. You know, whether it's the, the, the wait staff bringing your food or, you know, even, even when they hand you a receipt. It bothers me when people just take stuff and walk away. Don't do that. It's annoying. But we say polite. We, 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 oftentimes we say thanks because we want to be polite and we don't want to annoy people around us, right? It looks rude. But loved ones, when it comes to thanking God, don't be satisfied with a token thanksgiving. It's not about being polite. It's about rejoicing in him. And we rejoice in him when we see with the eyes of our heart something of his glory. And that's, I think, what this text has given to us in part to do. To direct our attention to the, what's truly beautiful. 
What's truly wonderful about our gathering today, it's because it's God and his working. Look at what God has done and praise him for it. Second, listen to what God will do and trust him to accomplish it. Listen to what God will do and trust him to accomplish it. Paul talked in verses three to five about what God had done and the fruits of that. But then notice he pivots in verse six. He just talked about from the first day until now, like since you were planted, you've been partners in the gospel, laboring for the advance of the gospel. Then verse six, he says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen to what God will do and trust him to accomplish it. What will he do? God will finish what he started. He will finish what he started. He has started a work in you. We've heard this morning about how he started a work here more than 10 years ago through, through people seeking the Lord and, and praying together. And then, you know, 10 years ago this weekend, the group gathered together. I hope it rains today because it was raining that first Sunday, right? So, I mean, that would just be, there's just be icing on the cake as it were today, right? If it poured rain and if the roof leaked, it'd even be more effective, right? It'd be more dramatic. It's possible, right? <laughs> God began something, and we can see he's still doing it, but here's the thing, here's the thing. He's not finished yet. He's not finished yet. He will finish what he started. You know, God is at work not only in this church, but God's at work in the members of this church. He's sanctifying you. He's still working on you. Some of you who grew up in church, you remember singing a song, right? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the rain and Jupiter and Mars. Oh, how loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Some of you are like, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in church. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. If that's what it was like. I'm joking. He is still working on me. You and I, were a work in progress. That's why some days, that's why some days we feel like we're on a losing streak, right? Because we're not finished yet. He's not finished with us. He's still working on us. I am sure of this, Paul says. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He will finish what he started. This includes us personally in our sanctification. It includes us corporately in terms of our mission and gospel ministry. Praise God for what's been accomplished here in a decade. It's astonishing. And it's, in some ways it might be easier for me being a newcomer, an outsider coming in. And to see it's amazing what God has done in a short period of time. But he's not done yet. There's more people to reach. There's lost people in our community that God is gonna reach through us. There's, there's a world that needs Jesus. We're part of that global plan. He's still working in us. He's still working on us. He's still working through us. And he will finish what he started. We can be sure of it. We can be sure of it. Notice that word that, that Paul uses, that word sure. And I am sure of this. How confident is he? Very confident, right? There's no doubt here. I'm, I'm sure of this. Paul's confidence is, where is Paul's confidence? It's in God, isn't it? That's right. And I'm sure if that's a he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Do you know where, notice where Paul's confidence is not. His, exactly, it's not in himself. It's not in the ingenuity of the believers. It's certainly not in their budget. Do you know the, the Philippian church was an incredibly poor church? They, they were, in fact, if you read in your Bible in um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 there, Paul refers to the Macedonians. Philip, the church of Philippi was part of those Macedonian churches. The Macedonians were notably poor. And what stood out to Paul in that context is that even though they were incredibly poor, they were amazingly generous. 
and gave sacrificially. The, so, I mean, he's, he's, not, he's not banking their hopes, his hopes on their, their strategizing, their budgeting, or their cultural insightfulness, or how cool the culture might find them. He is banking this, this whole thing on God himself. You can be sure of it, not because of you, but because of God. And when you think in those terms, you realize there's no limit to what God could do here. And there's no limit to what God could do through us. That's why Paul can pray crazy prayers and and say things like like Ephesians 3.20, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways we can go with that. But one thing it does for me is it says we, we need to keep praying and pray boldly. Like pray crazy prayers of God come and work and do because because it's you we're speaking to. And we can be sure that what he's begun, he's gonna complete because it's him who's in the business and we, we're the clay. He's the one who's at work, really. He will finish what he started, we can be sure of it, and we should be hopeful because of it. Notice the phrase there, at the day of Jesus Christ. And I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The great hope that we have is that Christ is gonna return. He will not leave us as orphans, but he will come to us. He will return and take us to be with him, that where he is, we may be also. And John tells us that when we see him, we shall be like him. That's the day when Jesus returns. That's the day when God will finish what he's doing right now. As sure as Christ will return, so God will complete what he started in doing in you. I think that it's wise for us to think about this corporately as a church. 10 years in, this might well be just the beginning. There's a lot of things that can threaten to discourage us, aren't there? Even look around right now, this whole COVID thing is just a scourge. The pressures and tensions that we feel and experience can sometimes make us lose heart. When we think about the building situation here, it's like, well, that's probably not gonna be easy. We're grateful for what we have, but we know this is a short-term project, so Lord, Lord, what, what do you got for us? Lord, provide for us. Well, whatever it may be standing in the way, whatever may be threatening to discourage us, whatever challenges we may face, this text should give us tremendous hope. Because it says God, God has begun something that he will finish. You can be sure of it, and we should be hopeful because of it. Really, when you think about the return of Jesus Christ, you and I can say, listen, whatever comes our way, whatever comes our way, the best is yet to come. Is that not true? Jesus is coming, so the best is yet to come. So things could get a whole lot worse than we think they ever would. But we still know that the best is yet to come because Christ will return. And in that day, he will complete what he's planned and determined to do in us and through us. And I think about, think about that, so we think about that corporately, but also I think personally. I don't know about you, but I find the, the, the biggest frustration I have in my Christian life is me. And the slowness of progress, few things, few things frustrate me and discourage me more than my own slowness of progress 
and growing up in Jesus. And you say, oh, you're, you're just putting that on there, preacher. You don't know. You don't know. It's true. Slow progress. It's like Paul says, like, you know, I, I, what I want to do, I can't seem to do it. And what I don't want to do, I struggle to avoid it. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says. And then what does he say next? You know, I thank God through Jesus Christ. That's who's going to do it. God will deliver me. You see, it's true. He's still working on me. You and I, we can put on, our, on your worst day, loved one, you can put a little sign over, you can, maybe even you need to get a t-shirt with this on it, that says something like this, under construction. You've been through construction projects. Some of you are in construction, right? Some of you are doing renovations maybe right now. And when it's under, constru- under construction, we can all agree, it's ugly, isn't it? I mean, there's dust everywhere, there's nails on the floor, there's, there's people bandaging up their fingers, there's, right, there's noise and there's disruptions and there's people laying on horns and detours. And there's, when, the construction project is, when the construction project is on, it's often messy, isn't it? But here's the thing, there's a conclusion to it. And when it's done, you come into that kitchen like, oh, oh, I love your kitchen, right? I love your kitchen. And, but I didn't see it, but there, there was the mess, the, the dust and the nails, and then my, I, lost, I lost fingers in the progress. Yeah, but look at the project. It's beautiful. Look at this road. I mean, man, this road used to be a mess, and there's potholes and everything, but now it's just smooth as a baby's bottom. We just ride down this road. It's just odd. There's even an extra lane in here. Man, I can't even remember the days when this was a dumpy single-lane road. Right? But see, here's the thing. The construction project is messy, but the finished product is beautiful. And there will be nothing as beautiful as the finished product of the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. There's coming a day when all of this pain and all the sanctifying that, that is so hard and so frustrating, we get concerned about ourselves and frustrated with ourselves and, and it seems messy and it is ugly, but there's coming a day when Jesus returns and we will be there with Jesus and God will say, voila, look what I've done. You won't even recognize yourself because you'll look just like Jesus. That's what he's doing. He's making you into the likeness of Christ. The process is often ugly from our perspective, but the product is beautiful. Harvest Niagara, listen to what God will do. Listen. Do you ever say that to your kids? Not, not can you hear me, are you listening? Listen, Harvest Niagara. Listen to what God will do. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Listen to what God will do and trust him to accomplish it. See, it's an exercise of faith that really I'm calling you today to trust him, to bank on him. Say, okay, Lord, I'm listening. Help me now to trust you with not only with the process, but the finished product. What do you say to a church on its 10th anniversary? Firstly, look at what God has done 
and worship him for it. We're gonna do that. We're gonna sing, and then we're gonna celebrate communion together. We're gonna worship the Lord in his own appointed way. As we do so, be, be, be mindful of the fact, hey, I, I want, Lord, show me, help me to see with the eyes of my heart what it is that you have done. And we'll worship him for it. Listen to what God will do and trust him to accomplish it. What I trust is not hidden in plain sight today now is this, that what's truly remarkable about our gathering day, this 10th anniversary, is God and his gracious, glorious working among us, which began more than 10 years ago and continues today and will be completed when Christ returns. I'm gonna pray and ask, as I pray, the team's gonna come up and they're gonna lead us in a song of worship and then we'll participate in communion together. So Lord, as we look to you, I ask you, Lord, that, that this text would have its effect on us. In the very least, Lord, giving us eyes to see what it is that you have done. Lord, move us to worship, Lord. We don't want token thanksgiving. We don't want to just mumble our way through this next song. We want to sing unto you with joy because of what you have done. You saved us, sanctified us. You're working through us. Lord, help us to hear what it is that you, to listen to what it is that you say that you will do, that you will finish what you've started Give us faith to trust you in that. Patience to wait on you in that. Give us zeal to cooperate with your spirit in it. And oh, Lord Jesus, we look to that day when we shall see you. And we'll be overwhelmed with that eternal vision of glory. And we shall be happy indeed. And you will have completed in us what you began. All glory to you. All glory to you. We look to that day in faith.